Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda. This week on The Agenda, we're in Paris to mark the 60th anniversary of China's diplomatic relations with France. On the 27th of January 1964, France became the first major Western nation to establish diplomatic relations with the People's Republic of China. At the time, it was referred to by some as a diplomatic nuclear explosion. But what have been the real results of that decision 60 years ago? And what might the future hold for Sino-French ties? I spoke to former Prime Minister Jean-Pierre Raffarin to get his thoughts. J'aime le peuple chinois. Je trouve ce peuple très courageux. I like the Chinese people. I think these people are really courageous. I first saw China over 50 years ago. I saw scaffolding everywhere, bamboo everywhere. Men and women are climbing these scaffolding in a really dangerous way. I saw the courage of the Chinese people. Back then I saw these small shops on the streets that were shops by day and were bedrooms for four or five people in the evening. I saw these people working. I'm an observer of China. I have a lot of admiration for those who built Shanghai, Chongqing, Shenyang, all this China that came out of the ground. It's a fantastic courage and deserves respect. What changes have you seen that really stand out? Je pense que ce qui est le plus important, c'est... I think it's the arrival of China at the top of the world. I think what's most important is this fantastic urbanization with these really big, beautiful cities that have been created. And then, what impressed me a lot too was the economic performance. The number one car market in the world, the first seller of tennis rackets, and many of the products we need every day. It was this performance that left a profound impression on me. I think that the Chinese are competitors, and that taste for competition has been very important for a very long time. They stayed Chinese, working in China. And for some time now, I think it was around the 2008 Olympic Games, where China assumed its global role as one of the world's great powers. That is the big change. Before, China was discreet, a bit closed in on itself, working on its development. Today, China is a major player in the world. What do you think that France and China can achieve together on the world stage? Ce que la Chine et la France ont à réaliser sur la scène mondiale, c'est la paix. What China and France have to achieve on the world stage is peace. It's a very dangerous world. In a world where there are very, very high tensions. The tension between China and the United States, the war in Europe, the war in the Middle East, war on all the continents. We can see that peace is needed. France and China are committed to dialogue, are committed to respect for civilizations, they're committed to multilateralism. So I think that world peace, the new global governance that will succeed the current governance, will have to be largely thought out, developed and promoted by China and France. We need peace. The Chinese people are peaceful people. And today we can see that there are dangers of war everywhere. So peace is the priority. France built Europe for peace. China developed with this peace strategy. Our duty, both of us, is to promote peace today in a dangerous world, in a nervous world. You are in Beijing for the um, Belt and Road Forum, celebrating 10 years of, of the Belt and Road Forum in Beijing. Tell us about the projects that, that France has been jointly involved in with China and, and why that cooperation is, is, is so important right now. Je représentais le président Macron au troisième forum 
I represented President Macron at the third Silk Road Forum. Since the beginning, France has participated in a global discussion on the Silk Roads, with the logic that the Silk Roads should be reciprocal from Beijing, Shanghai or Xi'an and the heart of the Silk Road to Europe, but in one direction and in the other, from China to France, from France to China. Among the projects presented by President Xi Jinping, there were eight major ones that were represented. What first impressed us was that the president had both a proposal on a priority to defend, for example, the environmental transition, but at the same time, an international organization to regulate this priority. For example, he proposed regulation, a regulatory agency for artificial intelligence. These are probably the two subjects on which France is most motivated to work with China. Climate change, artificial intelligence, um, those are areas that you see that there's more scope for cooperation under the Belt and Road Initiative or more broadly? And, and if so, with which countries, in which sectors? I think that we naturally have, in bilateral cooperation, topics that are very important. The subject of transport is a really important subject. Also, energy, that's an important subject. The smart city is something we're working on. Food safety, all are topics of Sino-French cooperation. But there are also things that are important for cooperation with third countries. And in particular, we think about cooperation as far as Africa is concerned. It would be really useful. China is working a lot with Africa. China needs cooperation with Africa. And France has a great history of cooperation with China, first with Africa and then with China. I think we have an interest in building a trilogue between Africa, China and Europe in general. So it's the African continent is a subject that we should urge us to have a multilateral vision of cooperation. In Africa, we know really well that in the past, unilateral or bilateral cooperation has often been marked by excesses and is accused by some of being colonial and by others of a lack of openness. We can see that today, with Africa, multilateral cooperation will be better. And that's why France and Europe could on the one hand work with China, but also with Asia, since India and Japan are also interested in African development. So cooperation between Europe and Asia for Africa would undoubtedly be very useful. There are some areas of, let's say, tension between France and China, the EU's probes into Chinese trade practices around electric vehicles, for example, around cognac. Um, and then France has taken its own steps to promote Europe-made products too. What's your outlook? Je suis né dans la région de cognac. I was born in the cognac region. So every measure against cognac hurts me really deeply. I was used to seeing cognac when I was very young. You see, cognac... It makes beautiful babies. That's why I've been an advocate of cognac. And when it comes to cognac, I'm a believer, but also a practitioner. Seriously, I would like to say that the issue is worth discussing between the two nations. Basically, we can see that in terms of, for example, electric vehicles, it's important for us to support the electric vehicle to help with the ecological transition. We need to limit our carbon dioxide emissions. We need to promote the electric vehicles. So we're developing aid for electric vehicles, for consumers who want to buy electric vehicles. But of course, this money is not meant to help Chinese industry. So you have to find balances. We need to promote the electric vehicle, but we also need to promote our own industry. And China often has policies as well, and these serve to promote its industry. So I believe we should discuss, and above all, always have a permanent dialogue between France and China. 
and in general on these subjects between Europe and China, in order to ensure that consensus is reached. But it's obvious that the aid we are giving to the automotive industry for the transition to electricity is aid that's not intended as such to promote Chinese industry. We understand very well that China is making its own efforts to develop its electric vehicle industry with outstanding performance. But we also have automotive groups that we need to promote. We also have jobs to defend. So you have to talk. You have to respect each other. But you have to take into account your interests and those of others. It's called diplomacy between France and China. We've been doing this for 60 years. Since General de Gaulle recognized China, the People's Republic of China has been France's diplomatic partner. I rely on diplomacy to calm things down and to ensure that people can drink cognac in France as well as in China, naturally with a sense of responsibility. As you say, we're marking 60 years of diplomatic ties between France and China. So where do you see that relationship in another 60 years? Je pense que dans 60 ans, la Chine et la France. I think that in 60 years, China and France could be the axis in a great four-way collaboration. China, Europe, Africa, America. The world is structured into these four main perspectives. And China can be a driver in Asia, just as France will be a driver in Europe. We have a lot in common to be able to talk with our American allies and our historical partners in Africa. So for me, the world in 60 years will be based around a square with four poles, China and France, China and Europe, Africa and the United States, and a particular link between China and Europe that passes through France. France is a country that has a lot of respect for civilizations. France is a country of culture. China is also a country of culture. And cultural countries are countries where people have deep feeling. And we're really, I think, closely linked as peoples. We have major political differences. It's clear we have systematic rivalries. It's true that we have very different systems. But our peoples are similar in that they are people of deep feeling. There are people in this world who have this sense more than others. With a Chinese personality, we often understand each other just by a look or by nonverbal communication, by the way in which we can talk together. That matters a lot. And these kind of people are, I think, France and China, who can in this world make, I would say, a kind of sensitivity axis to allow them to be actors in a peaceful world, in a world whose global governance will finally lead to peace. China and France, of course, remain key trading partners. So what does the future hold in that regard? I spoke to former Director General of the World Trade Organization and European Commissioner for Trade, Pascal Lamy. The world's major economic blocks are facing major challenges internationally, but internally, also with, with each other. We're here marking 60 years of diplomatic ties between France and China. Why is it particularly important? Well, I think it's important because looking back, it was the beginning of a new era. It was the first international important recognition of the new China, the one that was born in, uh, in 1949. And on the French side, it was in a way a single diplomatic initiative. Other Western countries were not there yet. So it was seen as a big thing that happened. But it also coincided with a moment where France really embarked on European integration. So in a way, it was a signal that 
we were open to China, but it was also the signal that we were conscious that France, with its relatively small size, with what was to become a big elephant like China, needed Europe later to properly interact with China. And this, this is where we are now. So in terms of closer economic integration, is that the key to, to prosperity or are the signals changing? Right. The reality of economics is that China and Europe and China in France, although probably a bit less in proportion than China in Germany, for instance, are economically interdependent. China needs export to the EU to grow its economy, and we need export to China to grow our economy. Now, this is not without frictions. Peaceful trade relations between EU, US, China have always had frictions here and there on poultry, on cars, on whatever, uh, bicycle anti-dumping investigation. But this is not the big picture. The big picture is that long term, we Europeans know that we need to keep trading with an open China, and China knows it needs to keep trading with an open EU. This is the rationality of economic interdependence and integration. You mentioned the United States, and I, and I wonder how far what happens in Europe is dependent on China's relationship with the United States. You know, I'm talking about supply chains, critical technologies, semiconductors. Well, as a European, I know that Europe is still highly dependent on US for its security, notably through NATO, and that Europe is highly dependent on China for its economic prosperity. So security and economic prosperity are the two basic components of, let's say, a reasonably happy population. In the world as it is today, and it's very different from what it was 10 or 20 years ago, which is a more rivalry-driven world, the EU has in a way no choice but becoming more autonomous, i.e. less dependent from the US on security and less dependent from China on trade. And this is the open question for the future. And whether US and China take seriously the EU ambition to become more autonomous in order to become, if possible, a balancing power in the future is the key question. So what happened between US, EU, and China, I think, is the real determinant of the decades to come. Let's talk about how that all plays out. Um, you have said that the world has entered a period of slobalization. And what, what's the role of China's economy in this new norm, if it is the new norm? Well, I'm not among those who believe that uh, we are heading towards deglobalization. I think uh, the efficiencies of globalization are there. True, what's changing is the view that interdependence may have its risks. So we are in a sort of a slower and more security conscious form of globalization, uh, which I've called in a speech I made in China last year, 
paranormalization, which is conscious that economic interdependence may have its negative, if it is used as a way to influence your politics. So it's a different globalization with more security concerns and a trade-off uh, between uh, efficiencies, productivity, the benefits of competition, of multi-localization of production systems, and security considerations. And this trade-off is changing. The price of risk has increased, but this is not a deglobalization. This is a morphing globalization where trade patterns have changed, like they've always changed when relative prices have changed. It does not mean that China or EU or US uh, will, uh, uh, I hope, and I don't see serious signs of that, uh, go back to a sort of mostly domestic driven economy. As Vice President of the Paris Peace Forum, um, I wonder what you think the best way out of all these conflicts um, that are threatening the world today is. I mean, and how could China and France, as two major countries in the East and West, play a leading role in improving global governments to maintain global peace? Well, first, I agree with you, we definitely need a better system of international cooperation. The one we inherited from the Second World War, which is institution, treaty-based, necessitates a level of understanding and trust, which we don't have today among sovereigns and diplomats. I think the right way to address this deficit of global governance is to engage other than sovereigns and diplomats, not that we don't need them, of course we need them, but we need other players to step in, multi national corporations, NGOs, big academic institutions, think tanks, and China has a number of them, to engage in purpose-led coalitions to address global problems we have. Protecting the Antarctica is something we need to do together. Cleaning the low orbit of the Earth, which is jammed with a dustbin of satellites, is an urgent question which we need to do together. Looking together at whether or not geoengineering could bring solutions to climate change, and there is, as you know, a lot of discussion about this, this is the sort of thing which we will do better with actors that have a habit of cooperation, international cooperation. If, if I'm a multinational, I know what international cooperation is about. If I'm a major NGO, with worldwide reach out. I know what international cooperation means. So this is where the Paris Peace Forum, this is the idea behind the Paris Peace Forum. The concept, and I know Chinese like concepts, uh, the concept is we have to complement multilateralism, which is between sovereigns, with polylateralism, which is with new international actors. Welcome back to the agenda here in Paris. As well as political, economic and diplomatic ties, this year also marks the China-France year of culture and tourism. I visited the Musée Guimet, Europe's largest collection of Chinese art, to talk to its president, Yannick Lins. 
You have an extensive Chinese civilization collection, um, including ancient bones, decorative art, all from different imperial dynasties. But it's just a snapshot, isn't it? It's just a snapshot of Europe's vision of China. Yes, yes. Of course, it's, uh, we have the possibility with this very rich collection of uh, almost 20,000 objects. Of course, you cannot see 20,000 objects in the galleries. Uh, more or less, you see uh, 1,000 of Chinese objects. But of course, it's the, the possibility uh, for a European uh, public to understand what is uh, Chinese uh, history, Chinese civilization. We have this storytelling of history of art in China. But there is another story that we can feel in the galleries, is what was uh, the the taste of those European people on China, because uh, it's very interesting for us because uh, we are now preparing an exhibition with the Chinese colleagues and the Chinese museums about Tang Dynasty. And you really can see the difference about what is the Tang Dynasty heritage in the Chinese museum with the new excavations. So in a certain way, the, the real story of the Tang Dynasty in China, and what is uh, this Tang dynasty heritage here uh, for this European taste? What can we learn about China through the art? For me, Ch Chinese art is very inspiring. What I learn with Chinese art is that you understand how Chinese art was more or less at the origin of many, many type of arts of inspiration for all the Middle East, all the Western Asia. Uh, of course, we always uh, speak about the Silk Road, but the roads in the world are very important to influence uh, countries uh, through art, uh, of course. And we see that the techniques, the material, the iconography are very, very inspiring. They were very inspiring for many artists during ancient time, but also during the Middle Age until now, I think, with uh, the contemporary artists, because I think that what is inspiring in Chinese art for other artists or collectors or amateurs is, uh, I think, that uh, the Chinese philosophy developed uh, in a certain way a sort of uh, eternal uh, and permanent uh, notion, universal, we could say, notion of uh, beauty, which is, of course, uh, essential in art. And what do you think that China and Chinese people um, learn about French people and Europeans through the art which has been selected to be on display in museums like Musée Guimet? I like to follow the Chinese uh, visitors in the galleries. I see that they really discover in Musée Guimet how the French and the European people were fascinated by China. They can't imagine this because 
we are in a time where we always hear speaking about conflict of civilization, about tension. And here they discover the love story in a certain way of the European people with Chinese culture and Chinese art. Are you saying that art is a way to connect cultures and, and maybe enhance cooperation? I'm absolutely convinced about this. That's why I like, as president of Musée Guimet, to be involved in this cultural dialogue. I think, and I, it's my own experience before at the Louvre and now here at, on the head of the Musée Guimet, to see that when everything goes wrong, the cultural dialogue remains always between two countries. Yannick Linz, thank you very much. Thank you. For now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the Agenda team here in Paris, goodbye. <laughs>